you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, uh, where we're going to read about Paul. And uh, there's a transition in the letter here. He's talked about repentance and the difference between godly repentance and godly sorrow, which leads to repentance, and worldly sorrow, which leads to death. And now the transition is, he's, he's beginning to talk a bit more practically and uh, refocus the, the church's attention to some commitments they've made previously, and we'll, we'll get into that in a moment. Second Corinthians chapter 8, here now from God's Word as we dive into this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us in earnest for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but, that, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the, will of God, by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all circumstances, and in our love for you, see that you excel in the act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnest of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by your poverty, you might, uh, so that by his poverty, I'm sorry, he, you might become rich. And in this matter I give you my judgment, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness is, uh, in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and, you're bur- and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word here this morning. We pray that it would come alive for each one of us. Help us to truly understand your heart on the matter of finances, and most specifically, Uh, your heart uh, for us. Help us to walk in step with you, and um, may your spirit lead and direct and speak to us as uh, individuals. Uh, May we sense your tender voice uh, directing us in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. Just to get a bit of context here, Paul is writing this letter to the Church of Corinth, and uh, the Church of Corinth is a fairly affluent church, as you will remember as we've discussed this, as you've journeyed with us. It's a port community, it's grown rather quickly and rapidly, there's all kinds of resources there in the Church of Corinth. Uh, A little further into context, the uh, emperor of the day is Claudius, and Claudius is ruling, he rules with an iron fist. Uh, he, in many ways, is a difficult ruler. He would call himself Caesar, and he should be worshipped like God. During his rule, it should be noted that there were three famines that he had to deal with. 
uh, and uh, specifically the one that uh, is being addressed here is a Jewish famine. In Jerusalem, famine had come and it was very difficult for the people who lived in Jerusalem to deal with the famine. Uh, People were going hungry, uh, crops weren't producing great yields, and it was a very difficult time. The church of Jerusalem is, is dealing with that famine themselves, but more than that, they're also trying to minister to many people in Jerusalem who are likewise in trouble because of the famine. Paul uh, and the churches abroad are made aware of this famine, and they, they determine in their hearts that they need to do something. And in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul addresses this issue, and uh, the church of Corinth uh, addresses it. Uh, they realize that they need to get involved, that they need to participate, they need to help. And so they determine in uh, 1 Corinthians that they're going to set aside weekly some money to go to Jerusalem to help with this famine. This famine is mentioned in history by Tashus, the Roman emperor, I mean the Roman historian, I'm sorry, but not just him, it's also mentioned by Josephus, the Jewish historian, and he refers to this great famine. The church is seeking to help out, and this context, the whole context of this passage of scripture is is specifically that. The church is, is being called by Paul to follow through with the commitment they made in 1 Corinthians to help the church abroad. Notice how Paul begins this. The core of giving is is found in this opening statement as he transitions from repentance and this difficult relationship he's having with the the church to uh, uh, now transitioning to some practical advice. Notice how he starts. He wants, we want you to know, brothers. Again, it's that Christian love one to another. He's speaking to the believer, not to the unbeliever. And he says this, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Remember that Paul is up in Macedonia. He was in Troas. God had opened some doors for him to preach the gospel, and and he didn't take those doors. The the concern and the weight of the local church had sort of uh, closed the door and essentially goes up to Macedonia. And uh, Macedonia is, uh, by and large, two communities. It's Philippi and Thessalonica. And uh, some of the New Testament uh, books are written to those people. He's in Macedonia, and he says to the church of Corinth, Listen, I want you to be aware that the church of Macedonia has received the grace of God. And it's because of this grace of God, they're able to then give or extend grace to others. Friends, We need to understand that everything we have comes from a gracious, loving God. What is grace? Grace is undeserved favor. That's what it is. It's undeserved favor. Friends, if we think of our resources as something that we've accumulated, something that we deserve, if we think of our resources as something that uh, we're entitled to, listen, friends, we will never hold loosely the things that God has given to us. Throughout this passage, what you will notice is that Paul mentions grace four or five times. He constantly brings us back to the reality that God is generous and God is gracious. That goes against everything that our culture teaches us. Think about that. Everything you have has been given to you by God. He is so gracious. Paul wants the church of Corinth 
to recognize that God is gracious. God is generous. God gives graciously to each one of us. When we view the things we have as a gift from God, when we view the things we have uh, as God's grace towards us, it fundamentally changes the way we hold on to them. Instead of holding on to them so tightly, we start to hold on to things far more loosely. We recognize that our role in the things that we have is merely to be wise stewards. We recognize that we need to be thankful for the things that we have because God is gracious and he's given uh, uh, to us. A story goes about uh, Alexander the Great and it's told about a beggar one day who's on the roadside as Alexander the Great was about to pass him by. The man who was poor and wretched had no claim upon the ruler, not even to lift up uh, a hand and invite uh, an invitation to, uh, to receive something from Alexander the Great. Yet the emperor threw him several gold coins. When one of his companions, one of the emperor's companions, was astonished at his generosity and commented, he said, Sir, copper coins would have been adequate to meet the beggar's needs. Why did you give him gold? Alexander responded in royal fashion, copper coins would suit a beggar's need, but gold coins suit Alexander's giving. Listen, God is generous. He's generous. He gives so generously to you and to me. And we need to recognize that God is generous. We need to recognize that God is good. We need to to begin our our understanding of, of giving back under that posture. God is good. It's his grace that extends goodness towards you and me. And he is a a great and wonderful and gracious God. And so Paul begins by saying, listen, brothers, don't miss this. This is critical. This is foundation. God is gracious. It is the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia that has has led to their response. In verse 2 he explains, For in severe tests of affliction, their abundance of joy, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Paul is speaking about reality. He's speaking about true circumstances. You see, in Philippi, in Thessalonica, the church was enduring great affliction. In the book of Acts, we read about Paul going to Philippi, and, and as he gets there, he meets Lydia, and he leads her to the Lord and uh, down by the river, and, and, and he slowly leads a few other people to the Lord. And you'll remember, we talked about this before, as he's up there, you know, there's this servant girl who has an unclean spirit following behind Paul, saying, these are servants of the Most High God. Paul endures for a while, but eventually, he what? He turns around and he, he casts out the unclean spirit. The girl is freed. Her owners, who are enslaving her, are furious that Paul would do this because now they've lost their income. So what do they do? They grab Paul. They grab Silas. They beat him to a pulp, throw him into jail, put him in stocks. That's what happened. Paul, who's a Roman soldier, I mean citizen, I'm sorry, he is rightly released because he didn't have a trial and he had the right to a trial, and he's asked to leave. And Paul says, no. That kind of persecution was happening in Macedonia. The church of, uh, of Christ in, in Macedonia and Philippi was enduring great affliction. When you read about Thessalonica and Paul going to Thessalonica, a riot ensues as he preaches the gospel and Paul has to flee. So Paul, as he, as he helps the church of Corinth understand, he goes, listen, they are under severe test of affliction. 
yet their abundance of joy for them. Isn't that amazing? The church of Thessalonica, the believers of Thessalonica, I, I thanked God for the suffering. Thank God for the suffering. Oh, we don't understand that in the Western world. That's so foreign to us, isn't it? Paul is speaking about this severe affliction. They had every excuse not to participate in giving to the church of Jerusalem. They had enough of their own problems. But here's the miracle of the Christian church. The Christian church is unbelievable because Jesus, he he allows us to go through great affliction. And in the midst of the great affliction, he meets us there. And when he meets us there, we go, oh, this is way better than had we not gone through this affliction. Wow, we see you in all your glory. Wow, we know you better. See, in the midst of their great affliction, they, they, they received such great joy. They, they encountered Jesus in ways that, that were uh, uh, pretty much unimaginable. And, and knowing Jesus in those circumstances, they wanted to know him all the more, and they wanted to serve him all the more. He was on to say their extreme prov- poverty. It's a paradox. They were in extreme poverty, and it overflowed, yet they overflowed with wealth and generosity. It was on their part. See, Paul helps the church of Corinth to understand that the churches up in Macedonia, up in the north here, they are responding to the mission of God, and and they are giving generously in the midst of affliction, in the midst of poverty. They're still being generous. Why? Because they meet Christ in the midst of their circumstances. Friends, we need to know Christ. We need to know him. And as we know him, he changes and transforms us. And he reveals himself to us. In verse 3, Paul goes on to say, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. I love what Paul is saying here. It's the theme of power in the midst of weakness. Paul says, I am so weak, but I'll glory in my weakness because Christ is made strong. In the midst of their affliction, in the midst of their uh, uh, difficult circumstances, in the midst of their poverty, they gave according to their means. Friends, friends, never give and go in debt in your giving. Paul gives clear direction here. That they gave according to their means. They, They determined based on what they had that they would give a portion of that to the advancement of the gospel. But notice that they didn't stop simply at giving according to their means. They, they didn't stop at, at giving a portion of what they, they gave. They gave beyond their means. Not that they went in debt. No, they, they gave sacrificially. They were willing to, to set aside you know, some pleasures that would be rightfully theirs in order to advance the kingdom in order to help those in Jerusalem who were under great distress. And notice that they didn't do this by compulsion. They didn't do this because they had to. No, they did it because of their own accord. As they encountered Christ, as they walked uh, in partnership with Christ, they, they said it wasn't enough to just give a portion of what they had. No, they wanted to give beyond. They wanted to give beyond what they needed to. 
They gave sacrificially. And, and, and so it goes on to say, why? Because they were begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. You see, the saints of Macedonia understood this. That in the midst of afflictions, you can get to know Christ and get to know an abundance of joy. In, in the midst of poverty, you, you, you can give and, and give freely according to what you have, and you can discover who Christ is. And so here they are, they're going, listen, there's a unique opportunity here. There's some unique circumstances in Jerusalem where, 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 where uh, there's a great famine, and, and we want to join in on the mission of Jesus and, and offer our support to advance the kingdom because we know that Jesus will show up we know that Jesus will reveal himself. We know that we will discover who Jesus is. We want in. And so they eagerly say, hey, we want to be a part of the relief of the saints. We, we want to eagerly participate in helping the church of Jerusalem as they seek to navigate through this great famine. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Friends, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about knowing him and walking with him. The more we know Christ and the more Christ has access to who we are, the more we discover his faithfulness and, and his character, the more we're able to walk and step with him. Never shy away from knowing Christ. Never shy away from diving in deep into God's word. Never shy away from discovering who Christ is. That's what Paul is saying here. He said, no, they gave themselves first to the Lord. It's like being married. In premarital counseling, we'll often talk about the triangle. And maybe when you went to premarital counseling, you heard about this. The spouse is on one side, the husband on one side, the wife on the other, and Christ is at the, at the head, at the center. And the closer that one comes to Christ, the closer the couple gets. Friends, as spouses, we, we need to encourage our spouse to seek after Christ. We, we, need to, we need to make way for them to seek after Christ. Why? Because when we seek the Lord, when we know Christ, then, then the kingdom comes. Then the mission is accomplished. Christ needs to be the priority. And so it was for the church of Macedonia. And then they gave themselves unto the others. Accordingly, we urge Titus, Paul continues on, that as he started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. You see, the church of, of, of Corinth had heard about the need of, of Jerusalem, heard about the great famine that was in the land and that the church was under great distress. They made a, a, a commitment to, to make an impact. They made a commitment to give so that the church would be able to be the hands and feet of Jesus in Jerusalem. But in the days of Paul, money wasn't transferred by wire or Wi-Fi. It was by boat. It took time. And so the church of Corinth had gathered together and said, over the next year, we will gather together and we will collect weekly a giving. And when we've done that for a year, we will then put that together and send it to Jerusalem to help. But the urgency of the need seems to us 
has uh, dispersed among the church of Corinth. In some senses, they forgot their commitment. And so Paul, Paul says to Titus, who's up in Macedonia, bringing this good report about the posture of the church of Corinth. And Paul says, no, we're sending Titus right back to you. And he'll bring the resources from Macedonia, and he's going to encourage you guys to follow through on the commitment you made. Friends, sometimes it's easy to jump in and and make a commitment, an emotional response to specific needs. Follow through. That's difficult. See, the church of Corinth was struggling with follow through. And so Titus is sent back to encourage them to follow through, to enter into the mission of Jesus, to help out that church in Jerusalem, to be bound together in mission, to serve well together to follow through. Paul goes on to say this, but as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and earnestness, and in our love for you so that you excel in this act of grace also. He says it's not enough just to, to be a good preacher or to be good at knowing things about Jesus but, uh, or, or, or good in faith. He's saying, no, 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 no. There's a practical thing here. Yeah, you need to follow through in this act of grace. Undeserved favor. Just as you've received grace from God, just as you've received uh, sufficiency from God and what he's given to you, so too, follow through, excel in an act of grace also. He says, listen, it's not a command. It's not a command. I'm not forcing you, but to prove by earnest of others that your love also is genuine. Hmm. Paul's not commanding the church of Corinth to do this. I love that. So in the first service, it's kind of like taxes. We don't choose to pay taxes, do we? (laughs) Come on. Do you choose to pay taxes? No. The government says this is how much you have to pay, and then you pay. And you don't get all warm fuzzies for the government. You're not giving to the government because you love the government, right? You're not. Thank you, Steve. That's right. But in the church, it's not a command. It's an invitation based on grace and what you've received. This isn't a command, no. But to prove by earnest of others that your love also is genuine. You know, when I first read that, I thought, oh, oh, so like, does that mean that I'm to give generously to prove to God that I genuinely love him? No, that's actually not what it means. It actually means that the proof should be in our lives that we earnestly love God and that our love is genuine. It shouldn't motivate us to prove, but rather the evidence of our life and our resources is a proof that we love God and are genuine. I was thinking about this in regards to my wife and my children. I don't have to take my wife out to dinner. I don't have to uh, do all these different elaborate things. I I choose to. I I want to. See, if I'm motivated by uh, uh, command, it lacks, doesn't it? 
No, but if I have the freedom to choose and I give generously, there should be an evidence in my life of the depth of my love towards my wife. I should never get her a great big gift certificate and say, love you, hon. Here's the proof of it. Never. Same, same with my kids. I, I found an interesting statistic on this. Money Sense. If you go to moneysense.ca. I don't know how they figure this stuff out. I, in the first service, my wife was sitting here, and I said, close your ears, honey. And... Uh, if you've got a weak stomach, close your ears, parents. The average cost of raising children to the age of 18 is a whopping, I don't know how they figure this out, $243,000. Good night. I said, honey, in the first service as I was doing the math, I was like, wow, we could be like almost just over a millionaire. <laughs> That's pretty good, eh? <laughs> I don't know how they break that down. They say, generally speaking, a child will cost somewhere between uh, just a shade over $1,000 a month. Hmm. We don't give to our children because we have to. We don't give to our children to prove that we love them. No, we should have evidence in the way that we treat our children, in the way that we've given to them, our backstory should have evidence that we love them. I hope that my kids will, will look back on life with mom and dad and go, man, they, they were generous with me. And not because they had to, but because they could. See, it's not about a total. It's not about a percentage. It's about a lifestyle. It's about an attitude. It's about a recognition of our depth of our love for our children, that we give generously to them, that we give generously to our wives. Could you imagine? Can you imagine if we were so stingy with our wives? What would that communicate to them? If we were so stingy with our children, what would that communicate to them? Why then are we so stingy with God? Why then are we so stingy and we're wondering about, you know, what exactly do we have to give? And, and, and we give sort of with this reluctance. It's because we don't know Christ. We're not free to, to recognize that Christ has given so freely to us. He has been so generous. It's His grace that allows us to be stewards of what he's given to us. We are not entitled. No, instead, we should have this generous spirit back to him. We should be generous with him. As we are generous with our family, as we are generous with those around us, Paul says, it's, it's not a command. Don't go proving to God that you love him and give a wink when you give uh, uh, someone, hey, look at how much I love you. No, not at all. But instead, our lives, our past should be an evidence of our earnestness to those around us that yes, they do love God. Look how generous they are. Their posture is open-handed Versus closed fists. 
Paul transitions and he explains why this is so critical. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, grace again, undue favor, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, my sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Oh, Oh, to know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ who leads by example, who shows the way, who left the glory of heaven and came and dwelt among us. He endured a broken world. He endured a body that had its limitations. He was hungry and thirsty, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was tempted in every way. He became poor for your sake and for my sake. He modeled how we are to live our lives. He wasn't reluctant when he came. He didn't come sort of uh, with a, a bad act. No, he embraced the mission that Jesus had called him to. And he gave more than himself. He gave all that he was. He took a beating for you and for me. He endured punching and his beard being ripped out. He endured scoffing and mockery from Pontius Pilate and other Roman soldiers. For you and for me. He died on the cross and became sin that we wouldn't have to endure the penalty of sin. He became poor so that you and I could be rich. That we could enter into a relationship with God. That we could come boldly into the throne room. Because he paid the price. We become rich because now we have a rich relationship with him. We became rich because we have access to him, God the Father. We became rich because Jesus Christ in every way paid the price for us. We became rich because we have an eternity with a mansion set aside for you and for me. We became rich because he became poor. He's our example. He's the example that we need to follow. He willfully gave up his riches so that we could become rich. And in this manner, matter, I give my judgment, Paul goes on to say, this benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to do it. Paul's saying, follow through. Follow through with the work that God has called you to. Follow through. Be committed. Friends, friends, we need to be committed weekly. We need the discipline of commitment to God. We need to determine in our hearts what God is calling us to give. Not just in the sense of the minimum, but also sacrificially. We need to give and follow through. And so Paul is saying, listen, I know a year ago you started this. Now follow it through. See that it is done. So now finish, finish doing it as well. So that your readiness and desire may be matched by your completing it out of what you have said. Don't just talk about it, Paul's saying. No, you follow through. Get her done, he's saying. And for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Paul's reminding us that it's not about how much we give in comparison to others, although proportional giving is important. It's not about comparing ourselves with everyone else. He's reminding us of the widow's might, isn't he here? See, God is sufficient. He doesn't need our resources. God has all that he needs. But as we enter into giving, as we enter into uh, giving sacrificially, we meet Christ in the midst of our circumstances. We discover who he is. His joy uh, for us may abound. We discover the fullness of who Christ is. And so we give 
we give according to what we have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you're burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Paul doesn't expect the church of Corinth to match the giving of Macedonia. They're not to compare is what Paul's saying. They are to seek the Lord and with joyful hearts give to the Lord. The Lord will take care of the mission. They are to join him in, in the mission. And in so doing, they will become bound together with the church of Jerusalem, with the churches of Macedonia. They will, they will be bound together. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. I love this. There's an assurance that God will, in the midst of the circumstances, provide. It's a, a, it's a work of grace, but more than that, it's a discovering of who Jesus is. How many times has that been true? Where you see God at work in the midst of the circumstances, when you give all that you're able to give, and you go, God, you're amazing. You showed up more than I could ever imagine. You provided beyond what we were able to. God, you are amazing as you supply the needs. For as it is written... Whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. This comes from Exodus chapter 16 when uh, Moses is talking about the manna in the desert. God provided just enough for that day, didn't he? And those who took more than they were supposed to, it rotted. And again, they would receive. God is able to provide. He's able to provide uh, just enough without anything left over. Who is God? who is Christ. He is the one we seek to follow. He is the one who is our example. He is the one who's calling us to discover who he is. Friends, follow hard after him. You will not be disappointed. Let's stand together. I'm going to call the worship team out. Let me ask you some questions here as we wrap up. How's your giving? How's your giving? When you compare yourself to the national average, how's your giving? Have you discovered who Christ is in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your giving? Have you discovered who he is? Jesus Christ is more than enough. I would encourage you to take some time to, to ask God what it is that he would have you to give. And then once you've done that, I would encourage you to, to say, okay, God, what does sacrificial giving look like? I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to discover who you are. Friends, may the evidence of our life be an evidence of our genuine love towards Jesus Christ our Lord. May our lives be an evidence that we love Him with all that we are all that we have, that we are truly thankful and we are grateful for his grace towards us, his generosity towards us. May we stop comparing ourselves to the people sitting next to us, but look to him. Allow him to speak and with thankful and joyful hearts respond. And so here we come, Lord, we come to you for you are more than enough. Thank you for the example in the person of Jesus Christ who left the riches of heaven that we, we would become rich. Father, help us not to miss the mark on this. Help us to walk in step with you. Help us, 
Help us to be truly grateful for all that you've given to us, for you are gracious and kind and generous. And it's out of that that we want to yield and hold loosely to the things we have. Lord, that we would discover you. Lord, that others would see that we genuinely love you with all that we are. For it's in Christ's precious name, amen.